pray for our time in the Word and fellowship today. today, Father God, it will be a beautiful aroma to your natural, Father. Lord, as we come together to hear from you, Lord, first and foremost, we pray, Lord Jesus, that you use your servant mightly today, Father God. Father, we pray that we, we will not just be here of the word of God, but that we will be doers, Father God, that we, that we will be able to apply, to put in practice everything that you're going to teach us today, Father God. Lord Jesus, your word declare clearly, Father God, that it's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path, Father God. Lord Jesus, it's our heart desire, Lord God, that you will speak to us today and that we will desire more of you and less of us, Father God, that we will be obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit, Father God, and that we will cry out to you more of you, more of you and less of us, Father God. Holy Spirit, guide us, teach us, strengthen us, Father God, and help us to be strong and courageous, Holy Spirit, to share the gospel which is the, 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 the beautiful gift that we can give to people, Father God, salvation, Father, life, a true life which is only found in you and in you alone, Father God. So we thank you. We give you the glory and the honor this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship our King. Be glad in it. He 
Yeah. 
Praise be to God, praise be to God, you say. 
to complete it. I pray, God, that we would just be in agreement, Father, with that prayer, Lord. Holy Spirit, that you would make us more like Jesus. 
more of you and less of us, Father. We thank you, Father, that your word encourages us. Father, that you transform us by changing the way we think, Lord. Your word encourages us that you give us a new heart. Yes. Your word encourages us that we are born again, that we are new creatures. Encourage, Father, to walk in step with the Holy Spirit so that we will not gratify the desires of the flesh, that we are the children of God. Co-heirs with Jesus. Ambassadors of Christ. Ones who have been called out and ones who have been commissioned to be sent out. Into a world that desperately needs to hear the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. The resurrected King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So let us not grow weary, Lord, I pray. God, continue to, to cultivate within us a greater hunger and thirst for righteousness for your name's sake, God. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity yet again to open up your word, Lord Jesus. Father, to sit at your feet, to be led by you, Holy Spirit, to, to put aside, Father, the, the events of this week or even the issues of this day. Just settle our hearts and our minds unto Christ. Say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Have your way, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So application, sustained effort, hard work. Sustained effort, hard work. From the root word, apply. To give one's full attention to a task. And again, this concept that we keep hearing for nine months now, to work hard. To work hard. Again, we're not working for salvation. Our salvation is only through Christ. Amen. But works are the fruit of our salvation. We are to work hard. We are to show ourselves approved of Christ. This new life in Christ is not of our own doing. It is what He accomplished. It is what He purposed. It is what God planned. Since the earth, even before the earth was formed, again, we, we, we've heard this, we should have an understanding of this, that God will have a people that He will call His own, and in return they will call Him their God. You see, there's only two types of people on this earth. Children of God, or children of wrath. You're either in Christ or you're outside of Christ. There's no in-between. There's no in-between. I know we like to have the in-between, but there's no in-between. The Bible is very clear from the beginning till the end. There's either people in Christ or there's people outside of Christ. And those on the outside will experience their due <coughs> penalty, God's wrath. Not because God is an angry God or a mean God or He's doing it out of some ill will and intent. No, 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 no. 
God hates sin. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in mercy and love and grace. But there is a time set aside that those who keep rejecting Him will be swallowed up in His wrath. That they would spend an eternity in hell never, ever, ever, never having a chance of repentance. Just endless suffering. Because that's what they've chosen. They've chosen not to respond to God's loving kindness. It's God's loving kindness that brings us to repentance. It's God's loving kindness that brings us to repentance, and through repentance, we are born again of His nature. And now we're not walking according to the flesh, no, we're walking according to the Spirit. And so when the flesh tries to creep in, this is where application is vital to our new nature. Because we are to understand whom we belong to, whom we are now, so that when that flesh comes rising up, we can stand in the assurance and stand there for then that we don't have to give in to its desires, its wants, its cravings, its insecurities, its woundings, its death rattle. But no, because of Christ we can stand and we can endure and we can mature and we don't have to give in. But we can allow Him to that process that He has begun in us full access, full access to mature us and to grow us. We don't have to make excuses for sin. We don't have to be mastered by sin because Christ is victorious. Amen. So sustained effort, hard work, when the world systems and when the world tries to lure us, to entice the flesh, to, to, to try to, 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 to yank us back or to, to lure us with what it wants to present to us, this is better than your Christ. That we don't give in. That we're able, again, to stand. That we can recognize that we have discernment to go, no. Yet though it may feel good, it may look good, it may taste good, it may satisfy me for a moment. But I know, I know it'll never, ever complete me like Christ has complete me. So what you're offering me cannot stand and have any access to me because it's not worth denying Christ over. Sustained effort, hard work, day in, day out, the flesh wants access. The world system wants access. And then ultimately, 
This realm that the Bible tells us, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with rulers and principalities in the air and in the darkness. This satanic rule. He has reign over the earth for a short period of time. He knows his time is coming to an end. Even what he's planning has been exposed. Again, the earth, the earth, the people of this earth. They're preparing for the Antichrist. There's demonic strongholds. There's gods with little g's with dominions throughout the earth. I mean, I said this to you last week. You can just look in the Bible. I mean, God, God himself, Tells his people. Don't worship those gods that those foreigners worship. I mean, even the foreigners. People on the outside of Christ. They may be moved by your testimony. Well, look what God has done in your life. Your God, your God. Look how God has favor upon you. You're God. You're God. Just like it was in the days of Israel. In the Old Testament. These kings and queens and people would come in and they would look and they would be like, look what your God has done for you. I mean, they would even claim He is the God. But they wouldn't serve Him. Because their little God was their God. They settled for the lesser power. Though they can acknowledge the great power, the great one, they would settle for the lesser one. And that's no different than today and the days that will come. There would be these people who would continue to settle to serve the lesser God and gods throughout the earth. But our great enemy will love nothing more than to devour us. And we're called to remain alert, to remain steadfast, to remain on guard, to protect what's been entrusted to us. And so we have to apply truth. It's a sustained effort. It's hard work. The enemy's roaming around seeking whom he may devour. And in the authority of Christ, we can stand and stand therefore then the Bible says if believers will submit themselves to God and then resist the enemy, he has to flee. He has to flee. So again, this is nothing new. We've heard this before. We have this realm. We have this realm. And we have this within us. That will love nothing more than to overtake us, to devour us, to destroy us. They demand it's their rights to our very soul, to that which belongs to Christ. But in Christ, we are a new creation. Unlike when we were, if, if you're in Christ, unlike before when you were apart from Christ, you just gave in to them. You just handed everything over to them. You were enslaved to them. They mastered you. They were killing you. Every direction, 
they were in control. But Christ, but Christ came to set us free, you all. And so application is vital to a believer. So again, the question is, how are you doing? How are you going about your week? And maybe you're saying, I'm doing great. I'm standing. Well, praise be to God. But are you praying for your other brothers and sisters? Are you encouraging them? Are you edifying them? Are you building them up? Because the days are evil. I keep encouraging us. Darkness is increasing. But the church, but the church, she's preparing for Jesus to return. And we're to be out there being about our Father's business, sharing the gospel, encouraging others, discipling others, sowing the seed, watering the seed, praying for the Holy Spirit to harvest the seed. There's work to be done. So application, giving your full attention to the task, to work hard, to get out there and live as Christians, not ashamed of Christ, not embarrassed of Christ, but to live your life out. Not allowing your error or your lack of growth to continue to define you, like, oh, I'm just a bad Christian. I can't do what everyone else is doing. No, no, no. Just day by day, trusting that what God has begun in you through His Son, Jesus, and now God in you via the Holy Spirit, accomplishing what God has purposed for your life. Are you dependent upon the Holy Spirit? Are you allowing the conviction of when, when, when you ought, you're doing what you ought not to do, when you feel the conviction to go, oh, no, Lord, oh, God, I'm sorry, help me. Guard my heart. Help me to mind my words. Help me to take thoughts captive and bring them into the obedience of your Lordship. This is what we're all to be doing. Trusting that He is able to finish what He has begun. But we have to get out of His way. It's more of Him and less of us. More of Him and less of us. And trusting in Him. And again, not being flippant about sin in our lives, but recognizing we're no longer to be mastered by sin. We're no longer to allow strongholds to be formed. And again, strongholds are those patterns of thoughts that are contrary to God's truth. And praise be to God, if strongholds are formed in your mind, well, the Bible tells you, He gives us the weapons of our warfare to demolish them. So we have the victory, and that's our position. In Christ, we have the victory. We're not living out a place of defeat. No, we've got to realize that we are victorious because of Christ. And so we have to change the way we think. We have to take thoughts captive. We have to bring them underneath His Lordship. What is true? And then how do I apply that truth in this situation or the days to come? And not beat myself up and poor me, poor me, poor me, and poor me. Not allow my circumstances to continue to define me, but allow God's deliverance 
the reconciliation that God has done through Christ for me to be reconciled to him, that I'm now a new nature. I've been engrafted into his kingdom. I'm adopted into his family. I have full access to God because of Christ. Wow, no greater love than this. So what on earth am I still in bondage to? And why do I continue to run amok? When I know that I can just take steps of faith and believe that God, you are for me and not against me. And no matter what I face or what I'm going through today or what I'll face or what I'll go through tomorrow or what's coming or what's going, I know one thing, God, you are certain. You'll never change. And God, I know that you're not man that you should lie. So that's what I keep telling y'all. You should be preaching yourselves happy. And when you see that you're not preaching yourself happy, that you get caught up in the circle, as it's, e- as it's easy to do for any of us, get caught up in, in, in a circle of, of, oh my goodness, and, and you're hearing your words, and, and you're, you know, you're defeated. And it's not that you're living in a, in a weird reality, like, oh, everything is, you know, hallelujah, choir, chorus. No, no, no. You can be real by what's, what you're facing, but the difference is... What you're facing isn't mastering you. So it's not like we say, no, 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 I'm not sick, I'm not sick, I'm not sick. No, I'm not even going to speak it. I'm not sick, I'm not sick. No, because that's weird. That doesn't make any sense. There may be sickness in my body, but that sickness that may be within my body does not master me. Because I belong to the healer to the Deliverer, to God, the Creator. He knows the plans that He has for me. He can heal me and restore me. And by faith, I'll walk in it. And by faith, I'll believe. And again, so you don't look at your circumstances and and try to pretend that they're not there. No, that's the reality. They are there. But what God wants to do through these circumstances is to shine through you so others can see how God is caring for His people through these circumstances. It's like that song was saying. The second song, it's my anthem. Play that as they're lowering me into the ground. Before the barbecue, the feast begins. It doesn't matter if my dawn never breaks. It doesn't matter. I will have a hallelujah anyways. We just got to go through. We just got to live through. It's application, sustained effort. It's hard work. God is still God. And see, when we have that confidence in Him, when we know Him, we live differently. No matter what, no matter what happens, we live differently. Because He's a good God. He'll see us through. That's the confidence that we have. Not in of ourselves to be perfect or to be right or to do good. Look how good I am. Look what a great Christian I am. No, no, no. But in Him. 
And I'm telling you, you've got to encourage yourself in Christ daily. In Christ daily. This is the good news. So applying the Bible is the duty of all Christians. If we don't apply it, the Bible becomes nothing more to us than a normal book and a practical collection of old manuscripts. That's why Paul says, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. When we apply the Bible, God himself will be with us. These are the promises. This is the living word of God. And it's sad, it's sad. These other people out there, outside of Christ, they're serving their little, God, their little gods with little Gs. Do you know they're committed to their teachings? So much so that when the big God shows himself and reveals himself, they're like, well, he's God. But no, we're not coming to him because we serve this God. That's how committed they are. They know the teachings. They know everything. They know what they need to do to appease their God. They're secured in what they believe. And I go, wow. Church, we can learn. Why is it that we're giving up the knowledge of our God to appease the people that are serving the lesser gods. Is that how the church is supposed to be living? Know your God. Love your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, with all of your strength. Live it out. Don't back down. Don't give up. Get out there and live. Know the word of God. These other people, they know their transcripts. They know what their teachings are. And they'll do the most craziest things. Tree huggers. You know, they will. And you go, well, that seems ridiculous. But that's what they believe. And we can barely pray over a meal out in public because what are people going to say? We can't even hold up a standard of righteousness or, you know, a standard because less people think, you know, I'm weird. It's not how it's supposed to be. Live your life out. This is who you are. And so we can't treat the Bible as if it's just another, oh, it's just another book. It's just a collection of stories. It's the living word of God. God gave it to us. He inspired the men to write it. It is the living word of God. It corrects us. It teaches us. It is our sword. And so, I can't encourage you enough. Application. It's the duty of all Christians. You must feast on it. It's not an option. Well, if you would like to. No, no, you must feast on it. Eat it. Devour it. Hide it in your heart. Meditate upon it day and night. Don't not neglect it. Don't put it aside. Well, I don't have time. 
or make it just a small portion of your day, you better be hungry for it. And if you don't have it, then ask the Spirit of the Lord to increase your hunger for the Word. That you may apply it, that you may live it. Get discipled. I don't know who you're connecting with. But if you're not connecting with daily, weekly, somehow, someway with another believer to sit down and open the word and discuss it and encourage each other through it, something's wrong with your Christianity. Something is seriously wrong with your Christianity. I can't understand it. It doesn't make any sense to me. Well, I don't have time. I've got this. I've got that. Blah, 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 blah. What? All of that is more important. And then you wonder why your life is the way it is and what's defining you is what's defining you because that is what you're giving your attention to. How sad. Especially when we know the day and age in which we're living. Oh, how we need a greater hunger for righteousness and a thirst that we would seek Him that we would get into his word, that we would understand our identity in Christ, that we would devour it, that we, again, would hide it in our hearts. fascinates me. We should not be ignorant of his teachings. That doesn't even make sense. That doesn't make sense. When I was outside of Christ, I devoured everything I could of what I was following in that, those seasons. When Jesus was revealed to me, I acknowledged, oh Jesus, you're real. As he does with all of us, there's a hunger to know him. And that hunger has to be sustained, you all. It's a constant hunger. In my formative years, as I shared with you, yes, it would have been nice to have a church body, a church family. I was pushed out. I wasn't welcomed. All I had was His Word, and I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that. I don't, I don't look at those times now like I did when I was in those times. But no, I look back now and I'm grateful because all I had was His Word and the Holy Spirit. God, I just need to know you. God, if you're real, God, I just want to know you. His word, teaching tapes, anything I could get because I knew I needed to know him. Like if he pursued me and was pleased to reveal himself to me, why would I keep him at a distance? Why would I neglect his word? Why would I neglect prayer? Why will I, as I, as I became and growing as a Christian and hungered for fellowship with other Christians and as I found and God opened the door for fellowship with other Christians, why would I neglect fellowship? 
Why would I neglect discipleship? Why would I do these things that I know that in my newness of life, this is who I am now? If, if I'm neglecting them, something's wrong. Something is seriously wrong. You have to ask yourself. I mean, even the motives that brings us together. Why, why are we together? You know? Why do we come together? Why do we live this out? Why are we trying to build a community of believers to live organically this Christian life? And so when we come to be a part of, what, what, are, what are our thoughts? Well, we're just here. It's just what we do. Well, then I would rather you not come. <laughs> it's like I was saying the other Sunday. I'm not trying to be mean, but I'm, I've been praying for the past two months. God, I just want to be with people who are hungry. <laughs> like, God, bring people who are hungry. I don't care if they're saved. Just let them be hungry. I'm not saying hungry for the food downstairs. I'm talking about hungry for the word. Everybody has every, every uh, you know, I'm coming in. I've got this to do. I've got this. I've got that. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm over here. I'm up there. I'm over here. I'm around here. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And I'm like, what kind of, what is this? This doesn't even make sense anymore. My God, come on. Oh, Lord. So the application of his word, the desire of his word to grow and to mature like we show up because Jesus, you're here. Jesus, we're together. Jesus, collectively, we're coming and we're seeking you. And we know, God, that you are with us, that you are among us. But God, we just don't want to take it for granted. We just don't want to push it aside as if it's meaningless. No, but God, we treasure it. God, we need this because God, we need you and this is what you have designed and this is what you have purposed. <clears throat> so God, we want to honor you in the midst of it. We want to treasure it. We want to cultivate it. We want to go out and live it out so others can see. We want to invite others in. We want to be about your business, God. See your kingdom advance. Amen, yes. God. Come, stretch us. <laughs> make us uncomfortable. <laughs> oh, God, make us hungry. And bring people who are hungry. Bring, bring people who want to seek you and know you. Not coming with their own uh, motives and needs and wants and all uh, blah, blah, blah. There's many other places people can go for that. Ah, ah. But to really cultivate a community of people to come together and to put into practice what we're learning. As the Spirit of the Lord leads us. Because it says here, when you put it into practice, the God of peace is with us. And why would we neglect that? So again, the degree to which we study, memorize, and meditate on God's Word is the degree to which we understand how it applies to our lives. But understanding the Word applies, how it applies is not enough. We must actually apply it. 
Application implies action, and obedient action is the final step in causing God's Word to come to life in our lives. Obedience. I mean, I'm thinking when I hear Jesus say, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And you don't even do what I say. You know, I said the other week, sometimes you, people become so spiritual that they actually look more like their father, Satan. And it's all under the guise of Christ. What kind of weirdness is that? But Jesus wasn't affected by it. I mean, even when he, he looked at the Pharisees, he says, your father's the devil. And you make those that you disciple twice as much the son of hell as you are. You're so spiritual. Keep the law, keep the law, keep the law, keep the law, keep the law. You think you have this intimate relationship with the father. And yet you don't even know him. Your father's the devil. You're so blinded. Super spiritual people. But I'm not impressed with that anymore. Years ago, yeah, maybe, but no, now I'm like, ah, I'm not impressed. Strong anointing. I'm not impressed. Like, truly, who are you when you're not on the platform? Who are you in your day to day interactions with people? As Christians, as believers in Christ, I'm impressed with how many prayers you prayed or how many times you got baptized, how many times you got filled with the Spirit, how many times you could prophesy, how many times you could do this and do that. Because if your life isn't changed and sustained changed and transformation, not just blowing up in a season and then wilting away in an instant, Oh no. Sustained effort, hard work. There's a lot of people who've watched my life over the year and they've been saying, oh, he's going to slip back. He's going to slip back. He's nothing but a faggot. He's nothing but a homosexual. He's going to slip back. I said, Lord, thank you, Jesus. Yeah, you know, myself, I probably would have. But in Christ, what? Nothing. Nothing. I want Christ. I want all of Him. Nothing of me. And again, like I've said, it's not just the LGBTQ side of me, the old me. It's the very essence of who I was, a sinner, as you. It's to the depths of your core. That's why it's not a different gospel for the different sinners out there. It's the same gospel for us all. Because it doesn't matter what the sin has produced in our lives and what desires we have given into or given over to. You're a liar, you're a thief, you're a drunk, you're a manipulator, you're insecure, you got all these issues, you're broken, wounded, busted, disgusted, you're a sinner, and you need Jesus. You need to be born again. You need to live differently. Let people say what they want to say. I'm not running my race in Christ to please people. I'm running the race 
Because I know the prize that is at the end. So this is the beauty. This is the beauty. It's, it's when you, you can see. So how do I know if I'm truly applying? When you see obedience coming forth from your life. And I told you. You can follow all the 12 steps. You can write down all the 24 memory verses. You can pray. You can do this. You can do that. You can journal. You can do all this stuff that you're doing. But if it's in your own strength, that's all you got. Then you wonder why you're back where you're at. Still yoked and enslaved to your master. Because you made it about you trying to be good. See, when it's spirit-led and spirit-filled and Christ-ordained and Christ-revealed, it just comes forth. Just as naturally as it was for me to sin, it now becomes naturally for me to live as Christ has called me. Obedience. I don't have to demand my rights any longer. I don't have to do this and to do that. I could just live now in the assurance that I am a child of God. And that he saw fit and sees fit to keep me in this generation for his purpose. He could have taken me home. Lord, I was there. I was on that in that hospital bed. Woo! Flatlining, and there I was, gone. I had to wake up with all them people all over me. And Gilda screaming at the people. On. I said, Lord Jesus, I was gone. Dead for just a few seconds. In an instant. But I keep encouraging you as long as you have breath in your body, no matter what's going on with this body, it could be whatever, as long as you have breath. Oh, you're purposed. So live as such. Live as such. Live as such. So obedience comes forth. So application implies action. And obedient action is the final step in causing God's word to come to life in our lives. The application of scripture enforces and further enlightens our study. And I love this. And remember this. You've heard it for nine months. And it serves to sharpen our discernment, helping us better distinguish between good and evil. We don't have to say, oh, is this bad or is this good? No, you know. Are these words I'm about to say, are they bad or You know. Are these thoughts I'm entertaining, are they bad or good? You know. It's what I'm taking in through my eye gates and my ear gates that's bad or good. You know. At least you ought to. Because the Word of God, if you're in the Word of God and you're applying the Word of God, oh, you'll know. Mm. You don't have to tiptoe. Like, you know. Nope. I don't need to feast off that. I don't need to give myself to that. It's not who I am any longer. So what do I give myself to? Not because I'm forced to, because if I don't, oh, God's going to get me. No. 
desire to. Because he gives me that desire. Because ultimately he's creating in us this new nature that we've been born into. His nature. That's going to be with him for eternity. All eternity. The children of God will be with God. Wow. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Because we're to be the people of God, doing the will of God, for the glory of God. Go to Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Again, scriptures have been encouraging us over the past nine months. On application, Colossians 3, verse 16. And let's throw in 17, so if you add that carried to the note. So let the message about Christ, who? Christ, in all of its richness, what is it supposed to do? Fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. So that whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. This is how we're called to live, you all. These just aren't words. Well, that's nice. Amen. Like, what are you doing? Nine months, nine months, nine months we've heard this. So then how are you, nine months later, allowing the message of Christ in all of its richness fill your life? If I went around the room, if I called people out, what does that look like for you daily? You should be able to say, Without even a doubt. And without making up something so you sound spiritual. Because we like to do that. Instead of just being honest. Yeah, no, I'm not. I don't even know what that means. Or what does that look like? Like really, do you give thought? Daily when you get up, before you get up out of the bed. How are you living how are you going to get up and rise up in this newness of day, no matter what your circumstances are? See, your circumstances aren't to be your God. In this world, you will have trouble. So, come on. Fine, you may be, everything may be good right now for you, but tomorrow everything could be swept away from you. And everything could be away from you. You could be broke, busted, and disgusted in this moment. But tomorrow you may be raised up. And praise be the Lord. So it doesn't matter if you've been raised up and you're walking in a season of provision or you're broke, busted, and disgusted and you don't even know which way is which. Guess what? One thing is common in both scenarios. God is still on the throne. (laughs) And you, and you, are to allow the message about Christ in all of his richness, no matter what your circumstances are, 
fill your life. What does that look like? And if you honestly are sitting here or listening today or listening later, do not know, then by God, get on your face and ask the Holy Spirit. If you're, if you're truly a Christian, if you're not a Christian, then by God, come to Christ. Receive Christ. Accept Christ. Repent of your sins. Recognize you're in rebellion towards Him. Be free. And then get on your face and ask the Holy Spirit to help you daily, hourly, moment by moment, have a life filled with the message of Christ and all of its richness. And then once you have it, you see what's the next? You, don't, you, know, just, you know just what flows freely from it? Teach and counsel each other with all wisdom he gives. From a life filled with the richness of the message of Christ, you have the wisdom to teach and to counsel others. And in that, counseling and encouraging of others, oh, look what it leads into. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This act of worship. To God with thankful hearts. This is how we're supposed to be living. This isn't just, you know, oh, that's nice. This is how you're supposed to be living. No, no, pastor, we can't do that every day. You know, I've got other responsibilities. Oh, what? Do you realize that's what people think? Oh, you don't know my job. You don't know this. You don't know that. No, no, we don't, we don't do that way in my home. We just come to church that way. And do you realize what people who call themselves Christians are doing in their homes? With their kids? With their grandkids? It's surely not Christ-like. We're handing them over to Satan. sense. Then we wonder. Then we blame the church. I was reading this article the other day. How the church is failing the youth. I said, I wanted to respond. Oh, God, I'm, I said, Lord, I know it. That, that would just be mean. I, whatever. But I said to myself, it's not the church. Let me go into their homes of these so-called Christian parents or parent. These households We want church to babysit. We want church to do. But we don't bring it home. And what kind of nonsense? You see the nonsense. It's foolishness. It's foolishness. It's not a foreign concept. Well, my children, they don't want to love you. It doesn't matter. Let them see you love Jesus. You can't force them to love Jesus because then they go to the other extreme. Just live your life. Raise a standard in your home. Be filled with the message about Christ. Share. Sit down. Let's pray together. Let's read the Word together. 
Let's worship. And oh, little Johnny, I pray one day you'll come to Christ. I'm not going to pretend you know Christ. But this is Christ. This is who He is. This is how we live. And so it's not like then they come to church and they look at you and they go, what the heck is this? You're not like that at home. All of a sudden. And by God, some people are just angry about Jesus. I'm just like, what the world is that? Gotta go to church. Everyone's up. Everyone's up. Everyone's up. And they rush into church. And they get to church. Oh, praise the Lord. What kind of weirdness are we living, you all? Come on, come on, we gotta wake up, we gotta wake up, we gotta wake up. We gotta stop putting on these weird masks and these fake identities that aren't even true. We gotta start putting things into practice so that whatever we do or say, We're doing it as a representative of our Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God our Father. We can't get to that point if we are not first allowing the message about Christ and all of its richness to fill our lives. Application. Application. Don't beat yourself up. If you're not applying, just hear it and go, Oh God! Holy Spirit, help me. Help me, Lord. I'm sorry, Father. I'm neglecting you. I know you've started something in me. I sense you. I sense you digging up within my heart like, listen, (laughs) that it's your loving kindness drawing me to repentance. Like, Oh, God, I'm sorry that I've neglected my family. I'm sorry I've lived this out and before others the way I've done. My God, I'm sorry. Help me, Lord. You know, there's always people chasing God for a season and then poof, like a, like a vanishing star. Rain cloud. Clouds filled with rain, but gone. Feel for a moment. These are the people you need to worry about. Because they're not being sustained. In it for the minute. And then where? God help us. God help us. Go to John chapter 4. Verse 23 to 24. But the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now. If it was true then when Jesus was speaking it, could you imagine how truer it is today in the days to come? When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. For God is spirit. So those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. We're not coming in with our human desires and our human clinging and 
raising our human voices and just doing whatever, just to do. I mean, even God back in the Old Testament, he's like, I'm not even listening to you all. <laughs> because it's not even really who you are. You're just putting on a show. Oh, I'm just moved. <laughs> and we make it about us. Well, did the, did the worship move me today? <laughs> we make it about us. Oh, I've been having a hard time. It's hard for me to press in. Well, those are the times you press in. Whether you feel like it or not. We don't make worship about us. Because again, worship is not just the music playing at the beginning of our service or at the end. Worship is a lifestyle. We just read. What is, what, what, what? You let the message of Jesus in its richness fill your lives. It leads us to singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs unto God. <laughs> you can't help but worship Him. It's just your new nature. Because you know that's what we're going to be doing in heaven. <laughs> and so our lives are just lives lived and constant worship, a lifestyle of worship unto God. We're not sacrificing the goats and everything else because we're the living sacrifice. We're laying our lives down daily. We understand that the flesh and the spirit, they're warring against each other inside of us. But by Christ and through the blood of Christ and through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, Sin no longer has dominion over us. We're now slaves to righteousness. So we live our lives now. A fragrance is coming forth from our life. Just naturally. We don't have to conjure it up or work it up. It just naturally comes. And it's a fragrance to some that is a sweet-smelling aroma. And to others, it's a stench because they know they're perishing. I mean, come on, you all. In spirit and in truth. I don't have to put on a false sense of worship. I don't have to put on like, oh, you know. No, like spirit and truth from the very depths of your new being, of your new creation. Oh, God, yes, Lord. Like I'm just a living sacrifice. My life is on the altar. <laughs> I'm all yours, Jesus. Make me more like Jesus. I mean, this is it, y'all. This is how we're called to live. Go to Matthew chapter 5. Last week I started. I told you we're going to walk through Matthew 5 through 7. Started with the Sermon on the Mount. We talked about the salt and light. Today we're going to look about the teaching about the law and the teaching about anger. And I tried to give, I tried to, as I pray for us, as I've been telling you for this year, I've been really praying for us that we would grow, that we would mature through ap application, through applying truth. And, and so we're, we're, we're being handed these, these truths, these tools, these these opportunities to develop and to grow. 
And what better way, another opportunity than to look at the Sermon on the Mount and then look at what what Jesus taught as he had his disciples with him. And how it should be as it was for them, it should be for us and the generations to come that we know. That we know how we're called to live. That you just don't read through these chapters quickly and it's like, oh, okay, whatever. No, take your time. What does this mean? How does that impact your life? What does it mean to be poor in spirit? What does it mean that, that we would be comforted? I mean, come on. How are we to live? How are we? Why, we're, not, we're, we're, we're the salt and we can't lose our flavor. We can't have the light and then hide it. Truly understand what Jesus is saying to his followers, to his disciples, to those who belong to him. You know, again, all throughout history, from the beginning to the end, there's these people that just hang out with God's people. But they're not godly. They're not godly. Get your eyes off people, what other people are doing. And keep your eyes on Jesus. Especially in our generation, when things are changing quickly. People that once we could look at and say, oh, wow, they were going strong. And what happened now? And then all of a sudden that affects us, our faith. Shouldn't affect it. Just pray for them. Just pray for them. Keep moving. You keep running. You keep enduring. Don't slander, don't gossip, don't gossip, don't backbite, just keep moving forward. But Jesus is teaching. And so let's look at this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 through 20. And then again, I encourage you. I don't have the time and the amount of time that we have together to to really just break it all down. But man, if you want to sit down and go through this, I'll be more than happy to set up time or find someone else to sit down and go through it or, you know, pick up some other commentaries and start reading through, start gaining wisdom and understanding of how this can be applied to your life and what is being said here. Again, Jesus is teaching Jesus' words. Don't misunderstand why I have come. Just sit there. And I told you all, don't redo it so fast. Sit there on that statement. This is Jesus. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No. I came to accomplish their purpose. Ah, I tell you the truth. Until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest, listen to this, detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So, if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, You will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. 
But I warn you. Oh, goodness. I love this. Unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Do you understand what he just said there? I mean, he says, but anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And I'm sure there was Pharisees or Sadducees in the crowd listening. I'm sure they kind of puffed up. It was like, this is what we do. But he says, I warn you, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers, of your teachers, of the religious laws and the Pharisees. I mean, he's exposing them. He's exposing us when we try to do it through religious works. Oh, we better perk up. Wake up, wake up, O sleeper. You will never, never enter the kingdom of heaven. Do you understand the charge that Jesus just laid out? Lord. He didn't come to do away with it. Oh no. I came to accomplish their purpose. Because all of it was about me, he says. All of it was pointing to me. All of it was me. And not one detail And those who are in Christ, we don't dismiss it. No, we understand it. Oh, God, we honor the law. We honor the prophets in the sense that it's all for Christ. We don't twist it and use it for our religious ceremonies or our religious laws and start tacking on and adding on or removing. No, we just understand. God's law will disappear, will not disappear until the purpose is achieved. It's all for him, you all. And those religious Pharisees, those religious teachers, mm-mm. And so people who live like that, who have a form of religion and deny the power of God to transform, they're not going to enter his kingdom. He goes on. You have heard that your ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. 
But I say, perk up, perk up, this is Jesus. If you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. And under, look at the exclamation point after that. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. When you are on your way to court with your adversary, settle your difference quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you will be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. This message about reconciliation to maintain it, to sustain it, to keep it. Don't let anger in. Don't give yourself over to it. If you recognize there's an issue going on in your heart and in your life with someone, deal with it. It's important. Because Jesus is laying this out. Jesus is laying this out. Reconciliation. It's a way in which my followers, my disciples, will live. It's opposite of what the world does. So Jesus is working. I would just encourage you. Take time. Pray through it. Be encouraged through it. Don't dance around it. Try to make it how you want it to be. To truly live it out. Because our lives are called to honor Christ. To live for Christ. To know Christ. To love Christ. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. I'm moving on to our identities. Again, another tool. So that you would know your identity in Christ. And like I keep encouraging us, you can't claim this if you're not in Christ. Oh, you can keep trying. Colossians 1, verse 13. And unfortunately, that's what's happening and continues to happen and has happened in previous generations. There's a lot of people out there that know a lot about the kingdom. And they want to announce the truths of the kingdom. They want the benefits of the kingdom, but they do not want the king. And that's not how we are called to live. Nor is that what we're called to preach. 
We're not to give them the kingdom first. You know, God will make everything better. If you just come to Jesus. What kind of nonsense is that? The reality is, we first know Him. And that's why before I started walking through these I Am's, we've walked through, we've already learned about the, 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 the nature of God, who God is. What we've received because of Christ, what Christ has accomplished for us. And now that we have that, hopefully as a foundation, we can keep building, because that's your Christian life. You're to keep building on the truth that you receive. Because it's a sure foundation. Our feet are upon the rock, and the rock is Christ. And so we just keep building. And that's what we're doing. We're just, we're just keeping building. So we have these truths, these, these, these truths as, as children, if you're truly a child of God, that you ought to know. You're sanctified. You're glorified. Because of Christ. But you are a child of God. Yes. You've been delivered from the hand of the enemy. And we know these. They shouldn't be foreign to us. And they shouldn't just be words that we've heard, oh, it sounds good. But no, how are you applying them in your life? So I got three for you this week. Colossians 1 verse 13, delivered your identity in Christ. You are delivered from the powers of darkness. Colossians 1 verse 13. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. Look at that. We have been delivered from the powers of darkness. And look, he transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. So let the enemy breathe down our necks. Let him roll around as much as he wants. We submit ourselves to God and we resist him with what we know to be true. We've already been delivered from darkness. I'm submitted to God. I'm resisting you and you must flee. Because the gates of hell shall not prevail. I don't know how you're praying. I don't know what you're doing. But you need to take this and begin to really understand and not become prideful in it, as we learned on Friday night. We don't become prideful into our new nature. Our position is to remain Humbled. Submitted to his lordship. Just to live and to walk it out. So we've been, I mean, that should give someone hope today. The next two come from the same verse. Romans 8. Go to Romans 8. 
Verse 14. Two more identities and just one simple verse. Jesus, thank you. You are led by the Spirit of God, and you are a child of God. This is your identity now. You are led by the Spirit of God, and you are a child of God. Romans 8, verse 14. For you all, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Short verse, boom, boom, double punch, two identities of who you are. And this should be encouraging to you. Again, not just words, but truth that sustains you and keeps you as you apply it. It's hard work, it's sustained effort with everything that's within you, outside of you, trying to clamor for your attention, you're to be able to stand and stand therefore then in the truth that has been spoken. Yes. So these three new identities. Let's go on to the prophecies concerning Christ. Yet again, another opportunity <laughs> to build upon the foundation of truth. Prophecies concerning Christ. Go to Psalm 109, verse 4. And I try to encourage you all to take these notes when you get them, sit down, and you have homework for the week. If you don't have anywhere else to start or anything else to... to, to maneuver through or to meditate upon or to grow in, you get these notes, you ought to be sitting down and allowing these teachings to encourage you, to equip you. So this prophecy we're looking at, we got three of them, prophecies concerning Christ. The first one, he prays for his enemies. Psalm 109, verse 4. I love them, I'm sorry. I love them, but they tried to destroy me with accusations, even as I am praying for them. Yes. Go to Luke chapter 23, verse 34. This is the Fulfillment. Prophecies concerning Christ, he prays for his enemies. We saw the the prophecy in Psalms 109, verse 4. Now we see the fulfillment in Luke 23, verse 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. The second prophecy concerning Christ, his side to be pierced. Go to Zechariah, chapter 12, verse 10. Zechariah, 
Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. His side to be pierced. Here's the prophecy. Then I will pour out a spirit of grace and prayer on the family of David and on the people of Jerusalem. They will look on me, whom they have pierced, and mourn for him. As for an only son, they will grieve bitterly with for him, as for a firstborn son who has died. Go to John chapter 19. Verse 34. John 19, verse 34. One of the soldiers, however, pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water flowed out. Again, the prophecy. His side to be pierced. And finally, the prophecy concerning Christ. Soldiers will cast lots for his coat. Go to Psalm 22, verse 18. They divided my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. Again, some simple detail of prophecy that is captured about the coming Christ in the Old Testament needs to be filled in order for Jesus to be the Christ, to be the Messiah. See, Jesus fulfilled all of the prophecies that were mentioned about the coming Christ, about the coming Messiah. And every little small details, even down... To dice being thrown for his clothing. So it was fulfilled. Go to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, verse 24. Then the soldiers nailed him to the cross. They divided his clothes and threw dice to decide who would get each piece. And this is, I'm encouraging you in these prophecies as we're soon to be wrapping up on them. It's not the exhausted list of them. But in hopes to encourage you, this is whom you're saying you believe in. You understand what God has done and He has revealed Himself that he's not man that he should lie. That what God has purposed, what God has planned, God brings about, God fulfills. You can be trusted. You can be trusted. So trust him with your life. He's formed you. He's fashioned you. He knows you. He's purposed you. He's prepared good works for you to do for him. Even before the earth was formed, He's intimately acquainted with you, even in your state of rebellion. That's why he's pursuing you to reveal Christ to you so that you might be saved. Because he so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Yes. 
Jesus himself has said, as I keep encouraging us, I don't come to condemn the world because the world already stands condemned. No, Jesus says, I've come to save the world. Apart from Christ, those in the world are condemned. The wrath of God is being stored up. But the love of God has been displayed through Christ. So that those who are in rebellion towards his throne can be reconciled to him and now be at peace with God through Jesus Christ, their Lord. Born again of a new nature. To live differently. To have a life that honors the king. Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Go to... 2 Chronicles chapter 8. We'll have time today to walk through the scriptures. Again, we walk through them in hopes to know him, him intimately, as he knows us intimately, that we're learning about our God. And we don't want our theology to be learned from the world or from Satan or from false teachers, but that God himself will reveal himself to us through his word. As we're studying. So we're, on, we're in 2 Chronicles chapter 8, verse 11. We're going to read through chapter 10. And again, Chronicles. This chronicler is writing to those who are coming out of exile. They're being brought back into their land. They're being reminded of who their God is, what God has accomplished through His people. They're, 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 they're being instructed of their identity now. And now then how shall they live as the people of God? And so they're getting a rich history. And as you read the book of, of 2 Chronicles, and as well as 1 Chronicles, a lot of it's a repeat from Kings and other books. But one thing's different in First Chronicles and Second Chronicles. Though it's a repeat, you'll notice if you're, if you're studying that this chronicle, chronicler, he's an encourager. He's not writing all the stuff that they can find in these other books of all the failures. He's not trying to hide it from them because it's, it's well known, the history. But he's writing to encourage them. He doesn't have to go spill the beans because they've already been spilled. You can find all that information in these others. Letters that were captured for you. <coughs> but he's trying to encourage a people who have just come out of bondage. And so I love the fact that it's, it's an encouraging word. It's a word to remind them of how great their God is and who they are as the people of God in the land in which God has given his people.
So let us be encouraged this day through the reading of this word from Second Chronicles. Chapter 8, verse 11. Solomon moved his wife Pharaoh's daughter from the city of David to a new palace he had built for her. He said, my wife must not live in, in King David's palace for the ark of the Lord has been there and it's, it's holy ground. And I love how this starts off. Well, I mean, it's not starting off, but today it starts off. I mean, we already know. Again, 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 the, the chronicler is not trying to spill the beans on Solomon. You can find that in Kings and other books. But at least your chronicler is letting us know. So just in case you're wondering about Solomon's wife, you know, that Pharaoh's daughter, that wife that he ought not to be married to. Because <laughs> she worships she worships foreign gods. He has removed her from the holy ground. Good job, Solomon. Because that which is unholy cannot unite with that which is holy. You're not going to worship your false god on this holy ground. I'll build you another place. <laughs> My wife must not live in King David's palace, for the ark of the Lord has been there and it is holy ground. Then Solomon presented burnt offerings to the Lord on the altar he had built for him in front of the ancient room of the temple. He offered the sacrifices for the Sabbaths, the new moon festivals, and the three annual festivals, the Passover celebration, the festival of harvest, and the festival of shelters, as Moses had commanded. And assigning the priests their duties, Solomon followed the, regular, the regulations of his, fathers, of his father David. He also assigned the Levites to lead the people, and look at this, God, it's so beautiful, in praise and to assist the priests in their daily duties. And he assigned the gatekeepers to their gates by their divisions, following the commands of David, the man of God. Solomon did not deviate, I love this, in any way from David's commands concerning the priests and Levites and the treasuries. So Solomon made, made sure that all the work related to building the temple of the Lord was carried out from the day, from the day its foundation was laid to the day of its completion. Later, Solomon went to Ezra and Gerba, and Elah, ports along the shore of the Red Sea in the land of Edom. Edom. Hiram sent his ships, commanded by his own officers and manned by experienced crew of sailors. These ships sailed to Orford and with Solomon's men and brought back to Solomon almost 17 tons of gold. When the queen of Sheba, okay, the queen of Sheba, she's an unbeliever, she does not believe, and the God of Israel heard of Solomon's fame, she came to Jerusalem to test him with hard questions. So don't be excited if unbelievers test you with hard questions. She arrived with a large group of attendants and a great caravan of camels loaded with spices. <coughs> large quantities of gold and precious jewels. When she met with Solomon, she talked with him about everything she had on her mind. I love that. Solomon had answers for all of her questions. Nothing was too hard for him to explain to her. When the queen of Sheba realized how wise Solomon was, listen to this, perk up, perk up, 
And when she saw the palace he had built, she was overwhelmed. She was also amazed at the food on his tables, the organization of his officials and their splendid clothing, the cupbearers and their robes and the burnt offerings Solomon made at the temple of the Lord. So, I'm sorry, she exclaimed to the king, everything I heard in my country about your achievements and wisdom is true. I didn't believe what I didn't believe what was said until I arrived here and saw it with my own eyes. In fact, I had not heard the half of your great of your great wisdom. It is far beyond what I was told. How happy your people must be. What a privilege for your officers to stand here day after day listening to your wisdom. Get ready, get ready. Are you perked up? Praise the Lord your God. Who, listen to what she's saying, praise the Lord your God who delights in you and has placed you on the throne as king to rule for him because God loves Israel and desires this kingdom. This is an outsider, you all. (laughs) To last forever. He has made you king over them so you can rule with justice and righteousness. She recognized. And there's speculations, but I was reading through these different commentaries. There's nothing, though though there's speculation, there's nothing written in any history book about this queen that she ever came to accept the God of Israel. You won't find it anywhere. We may want to conjure it up and say, oh, look, she left as a believer. She didn't. You're not going to find that in any history book. But she did recognize, just like every other leader in that time would look and see the God of Israel speak truth of the God of Israel, but would not come to serve the God of Israel. Then she gave the king a gift of 9,000 pounds of gold, great quantities of spices and precious jewels. Never before had there been spices as fine as those the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. In addition, the crews of Hiram and Solomon brought gold from Ophir, and they also brought red sandalwood and precious jewels. The king used the sandalwood to make steps for the temple of the Lord in the royal palace and to construct lyres and harps for the musicians. Never before had such beautiful things been seen in Judah. King Solomon gave the queen of Sheba whatever she asked for, gifts of greater value than the gifts she had given him. Then she and all of her attendants returned to their own land. Each year, Solomon received about 25 tons of gold. This did not include the additional revenue he received from merchants and traders. All of the kings of Arabia and the governors of the provinces also brought gold and silver to Solomon. King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold, each weighing more than 15 pounds. He also made 300 smaller shields of hammered gold, each weighing more than 7.5 pounds. The king placed these shields in the palace of the forest of Lebanon. 
Then the king made a huge throne decorated with ivory and overlaid with pure gold. The throne had six steps with a footstool of gold. There were armrests on both sides of the seat, and the figure of a lion stood on each side of the throne. There was also twelve other lions, one standing on each end of the six steps. No other throne in all the world could be compared to it. All of King Solomon's drinking cups were solid gold, as were all the utensils in the palace of the forest of Lebanon. They were not made from silver, for silver was considered worthless in Solomon's day. The king had a fleet of trading ships manned by the sailors sent by Hiram. Once every three years, the ships returned loaded with gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. So King Solomon became richer and wiser than any other king. On the earth, kings from every nation came to consult him and to hear the wisdom God had given him. Years after year, everyone who visited brought him gifts of silver and gold, clothing, weapons, spices, horses, and mules. Solomon had 4,000 stalls for his horses and chariots, and he had 12,000 horses. He stationed some of them in the chariot cities and some near, here, near him in Jerusalem. He ruled over all the kings from the Euphrates rivers in the north to the land of the Philistines and the borders of Egypt in the south. The king made silver as plentiful in Jerusalem as stone, and valuable, valuable cedar timber was as common as the sycamore fig trees that grow in the foothills of Judah. Solomon horses were imported from Egypt and many other countries. The rest of the events of Solomon's reign from beginning to end are recorded in the and the record of Nathan the prophet, the prophecy of Ahijah and from Shiloh, and also the visions of Eder the seer concerning Jeroboam, son of Nebat. Solomon ruled in Jerusalem over all of Israel for 40 years. When he died, he was buried in the city of David, named for his father. Then his son Rehoboam became the next king. Rehoboam. Went to Shechem, where all Israel had gathered to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard of this, he returned from Egypt, for he had fled to Egypt to escape from King Solomon. The leaders of Israel summoned him, and Jeroboam and all of Israel went to speak with Rehoboam. Your father was a hard taskmaster, they said. Lighten the harsh labor demands and heavy taxes that your father imposed on us, then we will be your loyal subjects. Rehoboam replied, Come back in three days for my answer. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam discussed the matter with the older men who had counseled his father, Solomon. What is your advice? He asked. How should I answer these people? The older counselor replied, If you are good to these people and do your best to please them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your loyal subjects. But Rehoboam rejected the advice of the older men and instead asked the opinion of young men and had grown, who had grown up with him and who were now his advisors. What is your advice? He asked them. How should I answer these people who want me to lighten the burden imposed by my father? And the young men replied, This is what you should tell these complainers who want a lighter burden. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. Yes, my father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make them even heavier. My father beat you with whips, but I will beat you with scorpions. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to hear Rehoboam's decision, just as the king had ordered. 
But Rehoboam spoke harshly to them, for he rejected the advice of the older counselors and followed the counsel of his younger advisor. He told the people, My father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make them even heavier. My father beat you with whips, but I will beat you with scorpions. So the king paid no attention to the people. Aha, here we go. This turn of events was the will of God. For it fulfilled the Lord's message to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, through the prophet Ahijah from Shiloh. When all Israel realized that the king had refused to listen to them, they responded, Down with the dynasty of David, with no interest in the son of Jesse. We have no interest in the son of Jesse. Back to your homes, O Israel. Look out for your own house, O David. So all the people of Israel returned home, but Rehoboam continued to rule over the Israelites who lived in the towns of Judah. King Rehoboam sent Adoniram, who was in charge of the labor force, to restore order, but the people of Israel stoned him to death. When this news reached King Rehoboam, he quickly jumped into his chariot and fled to Jerusalem. And to this day, the northern tribes of Israel have refused to be ruled by a descendant of David. This is what's going on. And I love the fact that he's allowing these people to know this is the plan of the Lord. What God speaks, God brings forth. God's justice is ruled out by God because God is just. He does not tolerate wickedness. I mean, this king, Rehoboam, he had an opportunity, but he chose not to listen to sound counsel. So as you're coming out of exile, you're coming back into the land, receive sound counsel. <laughs> because if you just go with counsel that is not sound, it's not going to go well for you. And so these people, again, are being encouraged to know their God and to know who they are, their identity, and the land in which they are given. And as it is with us, that we will know our God that we will know our identity, and that we will understand the times and the day and the generation in which we are purposed in. Go to Romans 8, verse 9 is where we're heading. Romans 8, verse 9 through 21. So again, we pick back up this letter to the church in Rome. We're in the portion of this letter when Paul is talking about life in the Spirit. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. I love this. He's reminding them. Remember, we already went through chapter 7. I do what I want, I don't do, I do, I do, and I don't, I do, I do, and I do, and I do, and I don't, I don't, I don't. Oh, wretched man that I am, who would deliver me? Well, praise be to God, Jesus. We're to live by the Spirit. So he's continuing this. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. He's writing to the church. He's allowing those who are sitting among the church to know if the Spirit of God is not in you. You don't belong to Him. 
He goes on, and Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. This is your identity. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. Therefore, with this understanding, therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Lest you stay stuck in Romans 7. And not press on to Romans 8. Don't miss out. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit, listen, perk up, You, who, you, how, by the power of the Spirit, what am I to do? Put to death the deeds of your sinful nature. You will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, this is your identity, two of them are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Don't be like those weird religious people. Instead, you received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now we call Him Abba Father. For His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are His children, we are His heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share His glory, we must also share His suffering. Do we not hear what he's instructing the church? And why on God's earth churches and Christians are doing and living how they're living? Well, we know why. Because unfortunately, Satan's leading the masses. (laughs) Just enslaving people to themselves. Lulling them to sleep. Okay, you're okay. Poof, you're a Christian. Poof, you're a Christian. Poof, you're a Christian. Poof, everyone's a Christian. Everyone gets the kingdom. You understand what the mockery is, that is, of the message of Christ. And this, and this is what we're raised up in this generation and the generation to come to stand against. Oh, you will share in his suffering, lest you forget the people who dragged Jesus to go on trial and ultimately demand for him to be crucified. Lest you forget it was the church folk of the day. (laughs) Oh, but I love how he goes on. We're only going to go through verse 21. (laughs) Yet... What we suffer, come on, now is nothing compared to the glory. Jesus, come on, you all. He will reveal to us later. 
for all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day when God will reveal His children, who His children really are. Do you understand? Creation is under the curse of the law because of what man has done. Man, man rebelled against God. you got to love the climate people out there running amok a fool. Global warming, this and that. Blah, 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 blah. No, it's sin. It's sin. It's sin. It's the nature. Creation is under curse because of what mankind has done. They have rebelled against their Creator. So all of creation itself is waiting eagerly for the day when God will reveal His children who they really are. Against its will, all of creation was subject to God's curse. But with eager hope, this creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children, come on in glorious freedom from death and decay. Come on, church. And we're out there peddling this weird gospel to people. When we ought to be living out loud the victorious Christ's message of hope that is only found in Jesus and in Jesus alone. Go to Psalm 18. Hmm. Psalm 18, verse 16 through 36. Again, we read through the Psalms to be encouraged to look up. The psalmist pins, He reached down from heaven and rescued me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemies from those who hated me and were too strong for me. They attacked me at a moment when I was in distress, but the Lord supported me. He led me to a place of safety. He rescued me because He delights in me. The Lord rewarded me for doing right. He restored me because of my innocence, for I have kept the ways of the Lord. I have not turned from my God to follow evil. I have followed all of his regulations. I have never abandoned his decrees. I am blameless before God. I have kept myself from sin. The Lord rewarded me, rewarded me for doing right. He has seen my innocence. Yes. To the faithful, you show yourself faithful. To those with integrity, you show integrity. To the pure, you show yourself pure. But to the wicked, you show yourself hostile. You rescue, you rescue the humble, but you humiliate the proud. You light a lamp for me. The Lord, my God, lights up my darkness. My God, take that this week. In your strength, I can crush an army. With my God, I can scale any wall. God's way is perfect. All the Lord's promises prove true. He's the shield for all who look to him for protection. Could you imagine what I was saying earlier? Families stop relying on the church to be their babysitter and actually take what they're learning in church into their homes and begin to declare this, begin to allow the youth, the upcoming generations to know their God. 
how great their God is, that he's not a taskmaster, he's not spoiling their fun, but he's God. The hope and the, and the confidence that they can have in their God, he is a shield for all who look to him for protection. For who is God except the Lord? Who but our God is a solid rock? God arms me with strength and he makes my way perfect. He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, enabling me to stand on mountain heights. He trains my hands for battle. He strengthens my arm to draw a bronze bow. You have given me your shield of victory. Your right hand supports me. You help Your help has made me great. You have made a wide path for my feet, oh my Lord, to keep them from slipping. This is our God. This is our God. Look up. Look up. No matter what the week has for you. No matter what the next hour or the next few days have for you. Know your God if you're truly a Christian. If you're not, come to knowing. Come to Christ. He's beckoning you. Come, come. Come out from darkness into my marvelous light. He's pursuing us. It's not Him resisting us. It's us resisting Him. Where are you today? Are you in Christ? Are you still resisting Him? If you're resisting Him by God, call upon Him. He will deliver you as you recognize your need for Him. As you recognize that you, your state of rebellion towards Him, to be reconciled to your Creator through Jesus Christ. This God, the true God, the only God, whose loving kindness draws you to repentance, that you may be entered in, counted among those, adopted in, and grafted in to his family, that you are the children of God, no longer the children of wrath. Oh, for the glory of God, that you would call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and truly be saved. Proverbs 19, verse 26. One nugget of wisdom to end our time with today. Children who mistreat their father or chase away their mother are an embarrassment and a public disgrace. Oh, church, there is a way in which we are called to live and is as unto Christ. I'm going to close this with this song of worship and then I'll close us in prayer.
You can have it all. You can have it all. 
Take it all, I still need sacrifice. 